Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. Come celebrate Lowe's first annual Spring Fest and give your lawn the look it deserves with five bags of premium mulch for $10 or three 19.3-ounce Bonnie vegetables and herbs for $9. Spring Fest, a festival of fun and savings for your garden and total home, in-store or online. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. Offers valid through 421 while supplies last, in-store only. Selection varies by location, U.S. only, excluding Alaska and Hawaii. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Thursday night, September 10th. 2020 as we are streaming this episode live on mixler.com slash machine and on socksmachine.com. In this episode, we'll recap what happened in Pittsburgh for the White Sox, a brutal loss in game one that saw the bullpen melt down and Yasmani Grandal struggle defensively, but that bad taste was quickly washed away thanks to Dane Dunning and James McCann powering a blowout win. But one player that seems to be regaining form is Yoan Makata. We'll chat about how he's looking stronger in those two games and how big of a difference a more healthy Makata could be for this White Sox team. Coming up next for the White Sox is a seven-game home stretch with three games against Detroit this upcoming weekend. We'll take a look at the pitching matchups and see if the White Sox can continue to stack wins against lesser opponents. But speaking of pitching... The Chicago White Sox announced today that they placed Dallas Keuchel on the 10-day injured list retroactive from September 7th, and they called up Ronaldo Lopez. So joining me now on the show is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. We were crossing our fingers that this news wouldn't come, but now that Keuchel is officially on the 10-day injured list, how concerned should White Sox fans be about his status moving forward? I would say one out of 10, I'm a five, 
just because it sounds like, you know, based on all indications from you know, Dallas Keuchel, Rick Renteria, et cetera, that it's not that big of a deal. And if they're going to do it, if they're going to give him a break, they may as well do it right now uh, while the they're 99.9% likely to make the postseason. And, uh, you know, the, the, the postseason is still more than two weeks away, so there's time to get him back in the groove before that. So if they wanted to give him a breather and also wanted to use that spot on a, an arm that can help throw a few innings, then I can see it. The thing is just so far that, you know, Keigel has been downplaying this the whole time. You know, he's been, seems like he's been managing it all season for better or for worse. So you just don't quite know, uh, given the nature of back injuries, just if he comes back, will it resurface? So I, I think he'll be back from the injured list in a timely manner. Just I'd be more worried about a recurrence. Now that's a really good point, Jim. As a 35-year-old that's way out of shape. Every time I bend over to pick up Frankie, uh, I feel it in my back. I can't imagine what it's like to be a world-class athlete, a major league starting pitcher like Dallas Keuchel, deal with back problems, especially when he's pitching in the middle of the game and trying to fight through it. One thing that caught my attention in his most recent press conference was uh, the difficulty flying after a start where the back is barking. And I bring that up because Keuchel can technically come back on Thursday, September 17th, Jim. That's the last game against the Minnesota Twins in 2020 for the White Sox. And that's a one o'clock game. After that game, they have to hop back on an airplane and fly to Cincinnati for the weekend series against the Reds. And again, I bring up this point because if it's the flights that Keuchel is saying are problematic for his back, it makes me wonder, Jim, that for Keuchel's long-term health, that it's not necessary for him to start that last game against the Minnesota Twins, and maybe they should let him fly to Ohio because after the Cincinnati series, the White Sox stay in Ohio and they travel to Cleveland for their final four games against the Indians. Then maybe it's best that Keuchel skips out on the Twins series completely, and I know that's not going to make White Sox fans happy. Or he could just discover the magic of train travel. He's got the beard, just get a bindle, you know, uh, sack on his back and a pocket full of dreams. Just hit the, uh, you know, hit a boxcar and, and and make his way down there on his own time. I mean, if he makes it to Minnesota and pitches that game, then, you know, theoretically, he doesn't need to fly. You know, if he didn't have to, like, they could somehow make it work. But yeah, I'm curious about that. That's something that caught my mind in terms of, that, uh, you know, one of those uh, signifiers that made me think like, eh, this is more than just a back tweak or back spasms. As somebody who has suffered back spasms, I know they're, you know, serious and really hard to uh, do anything with and can linger for a few days afterwards just with soreness and everything like that. So, you know, back spasms are a, are a real deal. But, um, you know, if it's flights, you know, can re-trigger it, then is it that, uh, you know, is it something that can be set aside after 10 days? So that's why I'm a five. You know, I, I mm-hmm. trust that they're being you know, relatively honest as, as much as they have to be with somebody's personal health issues. when it comes to, you know, other teams strategizing around them, they don't want to be as forthright as they have to be, but yeah, it's just, that's one of those things where, um, I wouldn't, yeah, it did. I did raise my eye and think like, huh, that sounds like not normal. So yeah, well, I guess we'll find out. Too bad. This, uh, this country doesn't have a monorail system. The monorail, monorail, <laughs> they make life so much easier, especially for people that have bad backs. But North Haverbrook has, has one, right? They're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I, I want to go back to a point that you made, Jim, as far as the, the reoccurring issue, because I could see where someone like Dallas Keuchel, a veteran who knows what it's like to be in the middle of a tight race to win a division in a season in which it looks like the first round of games in the postseason are going to be played at the higher seeds home ballpark without fans. And then after that wild card round for the divisional series, everybody goes to their bubbles uh, before playing in the world series at a neutral site. I mean, to me, it's important that the White Sox win the division as a fan because it'd be great to say, yes, the Chicago White Sox are the 2020 American League Central Division champions and we'll always remember for that for them for that. And they get to put up a banner and it's not a, hey, we made the wild card or we finished second place in 2020 type of banner. It is a legit reason to have a banner in the stadium. But I guess how important is it to win your divisions in this type of postseason format? And the follow-up question to that, does it make sense to rush Keuchel back? I would say it's not very important, especially given Keuchel's importance to a postseason plan. Uh, if you were, say, Dane Dunning or Dylan Cease in status, like the third or fourth best starter, then maybe you could think like, well, we don't need them now, or or maybe we can use them now to get some wins. But then when you know a three game series rolls around, he's not going to be you know he's not going to go through a lineup uh, more than once if he doesn't have it anyway. So you know we'll have all hands on deck for that game. So yeah, it, it, that's a case where it's not very important to uh, you know, rush a guy like that back. But for Keuchel, um, you know, being that. If you get to the postseason and you have Giolito and nobody else, or you have Dane Dunning, and you know Dunning's pitched great so far, but just don't want to put inordinate amount of hopes on him just because he's a rookie and he's, as Rick Renteria said, he's actually going through a rehab stint in in a, in a major league pennant race, which you don't often see. Uh, maybe you do sometimes in September, um, just because the minor league season is over, but otherwise it's something you don't, yeah, that. that doesn't normally come up, especially for a rookie. You don't have that kind of expectation. So uh, if he's the guy they turn to and, and he hasn't pitched well, you can't really blame him for it or he can't uh, say, like, that's his fault. He's not ready. He's clearly uh, cracking under postseason pressure. No, he's a rookie who uh, is coming off surgery, and this just happened to be the way he could get back into action. It, it's, you know, that's the kind of uh, situation where I, I think it's important to have Keuchel for that. So, you know, if they feel like they're not rushing him back, if it is truly back spasms and it's just a case where he could be back in five days, but they just rather give him seven at this point because they can and they'd rather have the arm, then I can see it. So that's why I'm not really inclined to believe either one, just because I can see a legit baseball reason why they'd put him on the injured list, even if they think it's, you know, truly unnecessary and they can just, you know, uh, beef up the pitching staff for a little bit. Uh, and then we'll find out, you know, watching Keuchel's first outing, see if he, uh, you know, uh, has to uh, leave it early for no good reason, or at least, you know, not performance-based reasons, just because he's not able to perform. If that happens, then I'll say, uh, you know, what are they doing here? But for the time being, given that he's new, you know, it's also uh, another case too, is that you know, he's had this problem where he's had like kind of mild problems with the Astros, but we have not seen it ourselves the way we've seen other pitchers like Rodon and Peavy and other, other uh, uh, you know, injury plague starters who we generally know how much to trust them or uh, how much not to trust them. <laughs> right now we're still learning this. So we might have to learn the hard way, but we'll learn. 
Well, with Dallas Keuchel on the injured list, it means that Ronaldo Lopez is back with the White Sox. To remind you, on Lopez's performance in 2019, he has made four starts, which covered nine innings, nine and two-thirds innings. Uh, His ERA was 8.38. He allowed 14 hits in those nine-plus innings, 11 runs, nine of them earned, three home runs, walking eight, and striking out 10. It was a poor performance from Ronaldo Lopez. It appears that the White Sox have lost a lot of trust in Lopez, and he's got a very short leash. So what role will Lopez serve, Jim, now that he's back from Schaumburg and rejoined the White Sox? Well, you know, I would like to see the last pitching arrangement that worked with him is basically an opener or a one-time through guy. Uh, and, and when he tandemed with uh, Gio Gonzalez, he worked uh, three and a third and he got the he got to the bottom of the order for Gonzalez to take over, hand it off there. Wouldn't mind him seeing him do the same thing, like an inning or two, and then uh, giving the game off to, I think it would probably be Bernardo Flores since Gonzalez pitched recently. He wouldn't be a multi-inning guy. Maybe Gonzalez comes in for two innings and they just try to patch it through rather than have a, a traditional second pitcher. So one of those two things, but I would not count on him for more than one turn through the lineup. <laughs> I think... You know, there's a part of me, Jim, because the White Sox are going to have a bit of a cushion with their division lead entering the weekend. I don't know what I don't know what happened to Cleveland these last two nights. Kansas City whooped on them. Uh, Brady Singer had a no hitter into the eighth inning, and the Royals won. I last I checked, it was like eleven to nothing. Hmm. Uh, Cleveland is now twenty six and eighteen, so they have fallen to third place. They're a half game behind the Twins and the White Sox. And the standings are one game ahead against the Twins, but they have two games in hand and they have two fewer losses than the Twins. Uh, so there's an opportunity for the White Sox after they make they play those two games to play the same amount the Twins have that they could be two games ahead of the Minnesota Twins. Anyways, it's my way of saying, Jim, that the White Sox do have a bit of a cushion leading the American League Central into this weekend. So if Lopez lays an egg early against Detroit, do you just make him wear it? to prevent taxing the bullpen. Like we saw what the Marlins did against the Braves this week. <laughs> Jordan Yamamoto. Yeah. Poor Jordan. Uh, yeah. The Arnie Lopez treatment as I think of it. Um, it's possible. I think it depends on what happens uh, before, uh, you know, with Giolito start. If Giolito throws seven good innings and hands it off and say, if it's a, a, a hefty cushion and they only need to use Steve Ciszek or, uh, Alex McRae or somebody like that, that who is not, wouldn't be in plans to protect or nurse a lead for three or four innings. Then I can say, yeah, try to go for the win, you know, try to beef up you know, the record on these lesser opponents as much as they can, because the last two weeks are pretty much hell. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the, as we've seen with like the difference in, uh, successes with the twins and, uh, Indians against the Royals where the White Sox went nine and one against the Royals. I think the, Twins were 500 and the Indians have lost a few. So I, if I'm remembering the standings right, it basically it's the same way. Like the, the White Sox gained a couple games on their divisional opponents just by virtue of beating up on the Royals, just pounding them to the ground. Same thing, you know, winning three out of four against Pittsburgh. You know, it's all the wins count the same. So I think if there is a win within reach, especially given that Detroit's uh, pitching staff is kind of in tatters, what they gave 31 runs up to uh, the Cardinals two games in a, uh, over the course of two games. Yes. So. I wouldn't count on any deficit being insurmountable. Uh, you know, maybe like 
eight runs, sure. But like if it's like three or four runs over the first you know few innings, I still think that the White Sox have to take it seriously. So if it's two games in a row, you know, should Giolito only last four in, in the first game's a slobber knocker that they barely survive, then sure, yeah, maybe it's Lopez just has to wear it, heads back down to Schaumburg, and 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 you know just basically resumes trying to piece his career back together. But I think, you know, if Giolito goes a strong seven and uh, the bullpen is fully stocked, then try to get that win. We'll discuss more about the Tigers series later in the show. But as I mentioned in the intro, the Chicago White Sox split their series against the Pittsburgh Pirates, a really ugly loss followed by a blowout win is a great remedy. Uh, James McCann hit a couple of home runs and Dane Dunning was great. But Jim, it's Yoan Makata feeling more like himself, displaying the ability to really smack the baseball, going 4 for 10 in the two games with a double and two RBIs. His average exit velocity on contact in Game 1 was 102.3 miles per hour, and Game 2 was 96.5 miles per hour. The Game 1 average exit velocity was the best mark of the season for him. And even though his overall numbers, Jim, are not impressive in 2020, he's batting 248 with a 337 on base percentage and slugging 404. But after Pittsburgh, are you noticing signs that Yoan Mikata is regaining his form? Well, you want me to spoil my entire Friday morning post? Because this is what I'm writing about. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it came up in the discussion on uh, the site. Uh, this morning, uh, you know, today under the Tim Anderson post, just asking whether, you know, should if Anderson's raking lefties and if uh, you know and, and weaker against righties and if the lineup needs a left-handed bat, is Nomar Mazzara the fulcrum of the lineup? Is he somebody who can help tip the lineup over to uh, you know be more even, be uh, deeper uh, against right-handed pitching, especially like right-handed relievers later in games? Is he the one that'll you know make it more of a threat one through nine uh, and I would say no. I would say, you know, Mancata's that guy. It's, we, we've heard the White Sox talk about it before with Carlos Rodon that, you know, when Carlos Rodon comes back, he'll be like a trade deadline acquisition, and that never seems to pan out. But when it comes to, like, Mancata, you know, given that we don't know uh, with it, when it comes to, like, post-COVID fatigue, how long it'll last, uh, you know, whether it's good, whether it's just like a run of good days for him and it'll be back to bad days or, um, you know, if he's actually getting out of the woods and, and this is something, uh, an effort level that's more that we can better expect, you know, going forward, even if he does have some lapses or, you know, has some setbacks to where he's not feeling it, um, you know, then that's kind of like getting an acquisition or getting an upgrade at third base because he's been holding the line at third with his, you know, old player skills, being able to draw a walk, having good hands, being able to complete, you know, routine plays. And that's, you know, that's useful. That's, we've seen worse from third base. Like I'm, I'm picturing like Jeff Kempinger who did not draw <laughs> walks and had his entire game evaporate on him. And just, uh, you know, like say Yolmer Sanchez at second, you had a good glove, but you know, had nothing to offer offensively. And, and that's why they non-tendered him. Uh, Mankata at least can keep the line moving. He can survive at bats and not make outs. And you know he's, he's still not maybe the most dynamic force in base paths, but he can at least get the next guy up to do some damage. That's That serves a purpose. And if you can hide him, if you can rotate him in and out with Yolmer, say, for a better glove or Mendick, you know, with a matchup, then, you know, they can get by with him. But I think, you know, if this exit velocity is to be believed, or at least, you know, if it's, if you believe it's going to be sustained, you know, more often than not, then, 
getting old Moncada back over what Moncada has been for the last two to three weeks is a pretty substantial upgrade. That's an MVP candidate where the lineup already has two other MVP candidates. I think we can rule out Luis Robert just because he's looked a little ragged as of late at the plate, uh, and we can just uh, cross our fingers for Rookie of the Year still. But, you know, with Tim Anderson, with Jose Abreu there, you know, having two um, you know cornerstones of the lineup and two potential you know, top three MVP finishers, maybe even one, two, you never know. Uh, having Moncada find that spark and, and be that athlete who was, you know, not only having above average exit velocities, but also made a great play at third where he charged and he contorted his body and made a, a, a laser accurate throw um, and didn't look pained afterwards. You know, he wasn't wincing or bending over or stretching any parts out the way we know Moncada to do sometimes. Like he looked spry he looked uh he looked young and uh that's i think what we want to see so if they can find that guy back more often than not i don't think he's like completely clear uh then i think he's that fulcrum type that can maybe give the lineup more depth against uh right-handed pitching especially like right-handed relievers who come in to uh you know destroy righties yeah i i don't i agree with you i don't i don't think there are enough games for yohan makata to quote-unquote save his 2020 season numbers, Jim. I just think we have to accept Yohan Makata having an OPS below 800 in 2020. But I'm with you. Because if, if 2019 Makata shows up for the final couple of weeks, Jim, I mean, this lineup's already dangerous with a struggling Makata. It hits at a different level if he feels like he's back to his 2019 form. Yeah, I was I was looking at his splits while writing the post, and just when you have a guy who hits 300, uh, I want to say 370, 390, I can't remember the exact OBP. I don't have it open on me right now, but it's like you know OBP in the high 300s, you know average over well over 300, slugging challenging 600. The White Sox have had some nice performances against righties, but they don't have that performance coming from the left side. Uh, Grandal has been good. Um, you know he's been adequate. He's been stronger from the right side, but he's been good against. Uh, right-handed pitching making them work. And Abreu's been better. He's had kind of a renaissance against uh, right-handed pitching when it looked like he was on the verge of being a platoon bat. Uh, but they could really use that left-handed pitcher, especially when it's a specialist righty who comes in. Uh, and, and, you know, he when it comes to Norma Mazzara, you know, he's had some better at-bats as of late. He's driven the ball better, gotten some lift, but he hasn't really challenged a homer yet, especially the pole field. And these righties are just coming in, throwing sliders in, basically back foot. And he's either had to lay off him or just ground him or pop him. Like he hasn't just he hasn't been able to put a good swing on him. He's just had to hope for walks basically with that attack. And so when you have those like side winding righties come in to destroy righties, you know, lefties can usually see that. But Mazzara, for whatever reason, his swing just isn't allowing him to do damage on those pitches. So that's why I think having him on Kata's left-handed bat along with ground doll would at least give the lineup some depth, some rentry of some options in terms of uh, how to sequence them in order to uh, make other managers think about how to bring in righties. Like you actually make them think about bullpen strategy and not just hope that good right-handed hitters will put the uh, good wood on good right-handed pitchers, which can't always be counted upon with this lineup. Well, let's touch on Dane Dunning because he had his best start of his young career. Uh, it's only been four starts, but six innings pitched three hits allowed zero runs allowed one walk and three strikeouts on 78 pitches, and you mentioned earlier, Jim, Rick Renteria saying that Dunning is rehabbing while pitching in the major leagues. 
I have to say, this is one hell of a rehab that Dunning is having. <laughs> and this is refreshing. Like, I understand that Dylan Cease is struggling to get strikeouts. But Dylan Cease has not been this efficient like Dane Dunning has been in most of his four starts. We could skip as far as his first start uh, of the season. And uh, it, it was really refreshing. It was much needed for the White Sox, especially after that first game where they used a lot of bullpen arms in a meltdown that ultimately ended up in a, in a loss. And here comes Dunning the next day, and he's putting up zeros. And he could have gone deeper into the game. Um, where Renteria said that uh, you know, when it came to pitch count, he wasn't in unprecedented territory, but there's also the idea of getting up and down. And he hadn't pitched into the seventh yet. And so, you know, after, um, you know, that much time, that much downtime during a game and, and your body cooling down and having to warm it back up, uh, that you know, they just didn't want to push him in that regard. So they let him go in the seventh. When he experienced trouble, they didn't want to add stressful pitches onto his tab, so they call it a night. But hopefully, like, you know, two or three starts from now or maybe in the postseason, if he's in that kind of groove where he can save the bullpen or uh, there's no need to go to any of the good relievers and the game's basically in his hand, He'll be able to do that. And I think it's a positive step. And it's, you know, I think uh, Cease and Dunning are two different pitchers. Dunning had more of a conventional rise to fame in the minors. Like uh, uh, Cease's uh, career was basically interrupted at the start by Tommy John surgery. And then it was a very gradual buildup from Tommy John surgery since he was you know, had a, had a young arm in terms of mileage. So there, the Cubs babied him when it came to a workload. And so the Sox did too. And so, uh, you know, his rise, um, you know, last year into this year has been somewhat new to him. So he doesn't have the, quite the polish and the, uh, the, the normal development curve that Dunning had before that was interrupted. So it doesn't necessarily surprise me that he's better at throwing strikes and getting ground balls. Um, you know, having the kind of, uh, uh, polish that uh, can make a pitcher more efficient. Whereas, you know, with, with CC he's more kind of raw strength. Uh, the delivery doesn't seem to repeat it too well, or at least maybe with certain pitches, he can't repeat it. And he gets into these funks where he gets you know, either a lot of foul balls or he can't find the right kind of two strike pitch and counts get extended. But uh, yeah, so I really don't want to compare them directly. Um, I think they're both, contributing and they're both developing on their own ways and they're both helping the Sox because uh they were both uh instrumental in keeping you know Reynaldo Lopez's struggles off the roster briefly until Keiko opened it back up they're both serving purpose but yeah you're right that, that it is just nice to see a pitcher have two ways of getting guys out you know strikeouts early and and in the case of his last start he uh, didn't get to strikeout counts because balls were being put in play earlier and not with a whole lot of uh speed on them yeah, we'll see uh, how Dane Dunning performs in his next start. It's going to be a big test. I mean, his next probable start, Jim, is that first game against the Minnesota Twins. Do you think Dane Dunning is ready for that big test? Because it's a pretty big jump to go from facing the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Detroit Tigers and the Kansas City Royals to now the Twins. I think so. Um, you know, he may not succeed, but in terms of... Like, there's nothing, there are no warning signs going off, like, in terms of, oh, this is going to be a disaster. Like, that. so that's how I would say readiness goes. Um, you know, if he throws strikes, if he's aggressive, and they just beat him 
on good pitches or they pound the few mistakes in inopportune times, then so be it. But when it comes to the uh, you know pitcher who might be overwhelmed by the task, I think as long as he's allowed to throw strikes and, and hopefully minimize contact, but you know if he gets beat on contact, that's one thing. But if he buries himself, that's another. And I'm just hoping that whatever trouble he gets into or whatever damage he suffers, uh, should he suffer, it's it's because the Twins hit it out of him. They didn't uh, just he didn't walk or he didn't hit, plunk batters. The defense didn't put him in jams. So, like it's just a matter of uh, good hitting, beating, learning pitching, and and that's fine. You know he should be allowed to fail if he does. Uh, but so far, you know, he's he's basically aced his ramp up period. So turn him loose. I just hope the defense plays a lot better behind him than they did in Minneapolis where they committed eight mm-hmm. errors in three games. <laughs> yeah. That, that's a case where the pitchers were, you know, you say what you want about the pitchers, but the defense didn't look ready for it. <laughs> right. The position players looked uh, like they were just, yeah, I wouldn't say that's, that's like armchair um, psychologists saying that they were intimidated or whatever, but just the results were such that they looked intimidated. Yes. And uh, hopefully that's not the case. Uh, next week, but we'll talk more about that Minnesota Twins series, a pretty critical series, especially if you want the Chicago White Sox to win the American League Central, rooting for that division championship, or if you're like me and you have money writing on the fact that the White Sox could win the American League Central. But again, we'll talk more about that White Sox Twin series on Monday Sox Machine podcast. But coming up next, let's preview this weekend series against the Detroit Tigers. Listen, you hear that? That's the sound of nothing. And nothing is what you'll pay for medium fries when you buy any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich. It's crispy, juicy, tender, all-white meat chicken with crinkle-cut pickles on a buttery potato bun. Mmm. Buy one, and we'll hook you up with a free medium fries. That's like zero zilch zip. So try any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich and get a medium fries. For nothing. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Cascade Platinum every night. Saves you water every night. Come meet me at the dishwasher, baby. See, hand-washing dishes at your sink uses about four gallons of water every two minutes. Naughty, naughty but with Cascade Platinum at your dishwasher, four gallons of water gets the whole job done. Slow the flow of that H2O. And change your routine. Do it every night with Cascade Platinum. A surprising way to save water. The Detroit Tigers are 20 and 23, and they are currently fourth place in the American League Central. They're still hanging on in this postseason race because the New York Yankees uh, have been struggling. Uh, if you haven't been paying attention, the Yankees are having around 500. And uh, they have this critical four-game series against the Baltimore Orioles. Yes, you heard me right. The New York Yankees have a critical series against the Baltimore (laughs) Orioles this weekend uh, because the Orioles have caught the Yankees in the standings. And uh, while that is going on, uh, the Tigers at 20 and 23, they're not out of this postseason race yet, and that's pretty impressive for a rebuilding team. But the last two days have been pretty tough on the Tigers. Yesterday, on Wednesday, they lost 19 to nothing against Milwaukee. And one would think that'd be the headline news until the Atlanta Braves scored 29 <laughs> runs on the Miami Marlins. Uh, so nobody remember the 19 to nothing plundering by the Milwaukee Brewers to the Detroit Tigers. 
Then the Tigers flew to St. Louis to play a doubleheader to make up some of the games that were missed uh, when St. Louis was dealing with their coronavirus situation. And the Tigers lost the first game of the doubleheader 12-2. So in 16 innings, the Tigers gave up 31 runs. That's tough. But in game two, the Tigers scored a run in the sixth and, and they scored five runs in the top of the seventh inning to shock the Cardinals, and they won game two, six to three. So that's what the Tigers have done the last couple of days as they make their way to Chicago. As the White Sox lead the season series, winning six of the seven games, this would be the last time both teams face each other in the 2020 season. Your probable pitchers for this series, starting on Friday night at 7.10 p.m. Central Time, it will be Lucas Giolito against to be announced for Detroit. I do want to mention the weather as far as this weekend. For those that live in Chicago, you have noticed that it's much cooler and it's been much wetter this week. It'll be 67 degrees for the first pitch on Friday. Saturday at 6.10 p.m. Central Time is going to be the start for the Game 2 between the White Sox and Tigers. Rain is in the forecast for most of the day in Chicago, but it does appear that it should go away by first pitch as the high will be around 70 degrees and gets a bit cooler as the game goes on in the night. For the White Sox, it's not officially announced, but we are assuming it's going to be Ronaldo Lopez to start on Saturday against to be announced for Detroit. And on Sunday at 1.10 p.m. Central Time, it is a thrilling matchup. It is to be announced against to be announced. Man, Jim, I am excited to see who comes out of the bullpen doors to be the to be announced starter for these games for both the White Sox and Tigers. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to kind of piece it together. I know Matthew Boyd started the 19 nothing game, so I don't think the White Sox will be facing him when Tim Anderson sheds a Ooh. tear. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> I'm hoping that the White Sox can, you know, given their success against the Tigers, given the Tigers' left-handed, uh, the left-handed nature of their pitching staff, that uh, they will get some favorable matchups and uh, really just, you know, do what they did to the Royals, basically, and 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 run up the score and run up the season standings and uh, bum slay to their hearts' content. Uh, you know, the White Sox coming off the off day, we've seen them disappoint off the off day before. Uh, is or just earlier this week in the opener against the Pittsburgh series. So it's going to be, uh, you, you can't take that for granted, but it's, it's that, that bottom of the AL is a mess right now, or at least the, the eighth spot. Cause I saw the Yankees Reddit turn to a, turn into a Yankee candle Reddit. Uh, they're just tired of talking about the Yankees. So they just started reviewing candles and the Yankee candle site for all their, really? Fl- yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. So, <laughs> So that was their <laughs> passive aggressive uh, resistance to just what the Yankees have been showing for the last three weeks. <laughs> it's, yeah, the Astros have been a mess. So yeah, credit you know credit Ron Gardenhire and and uh, you know for everything that's going on there. But you look at their pitching staff and all the roster moves they had to they had to break out uh, Jordan Zimmerman to get through the double header. So he, the White Sox won't see him, and, and you know probably the last time they would see him. Uh, but yeah, I don't know who's going for them. It just feels like the White Sox, if they get a lefty early and just have to, uh, you get a chance to pile on an early lead the way they're doing against lefties, uh, they could, uh, turn the series in a hurry. So here's hoping. Yeah. Again, the, the Detroit Tigers are coming into this weekend, uh, at the moment, a half game behind, 
Uh, the Baltimore Orioles, who are 20 and 22. The New York Yankees, as Jim mentioned, are 22 and 21 in the season. Of course, when you're a Yankees fan and you have huge expectations coming to the season, World Series aspirations, uh, this is terrible. Uh, for yeah. their standards. Well, we we can relate watching the 2016 White Sox, you know, yes, 23 and 10 and then 10 and 23 and the Yankees were 16 and 6 and then they went 6 and 16. So, we know what that's like. We do. But I'm glad you mentioned Houston because Oakland won again today against the Houston Astros. The Oakland Athletics have a six and a half game lead over Houston. That is the largest lead right now. Uh, for any of the standings in the American League, as Tampa has a three and a half game lead over uh, Toronto, as we mentioned earlier, earlier the White Sox have a game lead over Minnesota, but two games in hand as the Twins have two extra losses. But for the Astros, Jim, they're only two games ahead of the Seattle Mariners. If you're a Seattle Mariner fan, you are now checking the wild card standings, and it has been a very, very long time since they have made the postseason. What like two thousand? One? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, it's been like 19, 19 seasons. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, there are a lot of, uh, you know, we talked about before, there are a lot of benefits and a lot of drawbacks to this format. The drawbacks are that the White Sox, you know, as long as they get to like 32 wins, it seems like they'll, they'll be fine. So last two weeks aren't particularly consequential, especially like with the bubble situation with uh, no fans, no home field advantage, that sort of thing. But you know, for teams like the Tigers, the Orioles, where the fans have had nothing to watch, and the Mariners, uh, you know, the all the bad luck and and uh, misfortune and and roster turmoil and everything they've uh, had to endure over the last couple of decades, that you know, it does have some benefits in having these. Uh, you know, it's not a normal pennant race and a normal like a uh, postseason push, and you don't feel like these teams are actually any good still, but there's something to play for and. I, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to see this be permanent, but as we talked about um, last time, I kind of threw it out there just uh, spur of the moment. And the more I think about it, the more I don't mind the idea of like every 10 years having just an open season postseason to where uh, you can kind of snap the tanking teams out of it and get them out of uh, long term. Nothing matters mode and get them playing for something, because as we've seen, you know, part of it's the pandemic and, and the abbreviated summer camp and injuries stemming from that that have caused this uh just leveling of the playing field and leveling of some rosters. But uh, it also stands the reason that maybe just in a, a season where teams are pushing when they normally wouldn't, that pleasant surprises can happen. So it's neat to see it. Um, I think it doles some of the excitement up top, but below, you know, as, as much of the bummer as the Yankees and Astros are having, and nobody's really shedding a tear for the Astros, it's a lot of fun for, you know, teams that uh, have been mailing it in for their fans. Yeah, you know, one of those teams that everybody thought was mailing it in was the San Francisco Giants. And they're currently losing as we're streaming this 5-1 to one to San Diego, which San Diego has become the second best team in the National League behind the Dodgers. Unfortunately for them, they're in the same division. So the best they're going to be able to do is the fourth seed. Uh, but San Francisco, the season ended today, Jim, they would be the seventh seed in the National League. The San Francisco Giants, I thought, were going to be terrible in 2020. Mm -hmm. And here they are as the seventh seed. And the Miami Marlins challenging Philadelphia for the second place in the National League East. The Marlins came from behind today to beat the Phillies after being thrashed by 20 runs yesterday. 
and now the Marlins are just a half game behind the Phillies for second place in the National League East. And even crazier, they're only three and a half games back of Atlanta in the National League East. Yeah, Atlanta. I'm just going to say this now. Go Marlins. Yeah, well, <laughs> Go catch Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we've been talking about the White Sox pitching woes, and Atlanta's down to like one healthy, good, healthy pitcher, Shenandoah's Ian Anderson, mm-hmm. and the rest are just like Josh Tomlin and a whole bunch of you know filler or you know prospects who are being rushed and everything like that. But uh, Tim tweeted us saying that uh, the season and the format could possibly knock out several longest playoff droughts in one off season. And you have uh, yeah, the, the Mariners. I'm looking at the uh, current postseason droughts. The Mariners, yeah, 2001, 18 seasons. Marlins, 16 seasons. Padres, 13 seasons. White Sox, 11. Phillies, 8. So, yeah, it's yeah. they're all theoretically in play. <sighs> I wonder how, again, it would be fascinating five, ten years from now on how we look back at the 2020 season. I mean, it's it's a chaotic year. But I do think that for fan morale, uh, it's beneficial for these teams to break these postseason droughts. I think the White Sox and Padres are, are in a different light. They have rebuilt their core and their team foundation to get to the stage that they're currently at right now. And they're just showing promise, not in 2020, but for years to come. And to me, it seems like they are on a collision course to one day face each other. Uh, in the World Series, the White Sox and the Padres. But man, you know, in a chaotic year, go Baltimore. Go go Miami. Go San Francisco. Make it happen. Find a way to get into the postseason. Because I would love to see a Giants versus Dodgers first round matchup. Because you know the Giants will be amped up for that series. And they would make it tough on the Dodgers. And they have made it tough on the Dodgers in the 10 games that they have played against each other uh, this season. They have not taken those games lightly. And I think that would make... If you're going to have an 18 playoff, if you're going to have 8 versus 1 in the first 3 games in the opening round of the playoffs... That is like a dream come true for Rob Manfred if he wants to sell this format. That a Cinderella can step up and uh, knock out Goliath in the first round. And then anything could happen in the postseason. That may draw more fans' attention to the playoffs. Yeah, it's like March Madness, but not October. Like, that's kind of how you described me. Just like, oh, it's like a you know, 12 seed making a run. Yeah, it you know, that maybe not, there's not like a true 16 seed, uh, in the major league baseball, but you can get down there and, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it would have that kind of feeling where it's, you know, like the NCAA tournament doesn't crown the best team all the time. It's like, you know, one and done one, you know, string of one and done survive in advance. And, you know, it's not meant like a best of seven series to decide the better team. It's just to decide, I guess, either the hottest team or the team that, uh, is just the most solid and can't get into deficits or, you know, whatever definition you call it, but it's not necessarily the best team. And I think this season would do the same where it would produce a champion and, you know, depending on the quality of the champion, like if the Dodgers win it, nobody will say like, well, the Dodgers fluked into it. It might be like the Spurs uh, in the NBA when they won the strike shortened season. And it was like their first NBA title. And, uh, people at the time said like, well, it's kind of a cheap title to win, but later on the, you know, the Spurs prove their, their medal as a franchise. And so that's just kind of treated now as a 
typical NBA trophy. I could see the same thing, you know, the Blackhawks, another one where they won a strike shortened or a lockout shortened uh, uh, season and, you know, wasn't a typical season, but the strength of their franchise basically supported uh, the credibility of the title. So I think it depends on which team ends up winning it to see how we truly judge the result. Like if the Marlins or the Orioles or Tigers <laughs> end up winning the World Series, then you just you know, say like, that was weird. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's still a, a real World Series. Uh, you know, it's a piece of metal as, uh, as Rob Manfred would call it, a piece of metal going to a lucky owner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the, uh, yeah, what a commissioner. But uh, it, it's still a, a real thing. But, you know, I think fans and people generally know how to adjust for context you know with the year of the pitcher they know how to adjust for that and when it comes to like world war ii seasons uh, people know how to adjust for that so there you know we have a history of uh you know calculating either mathematically or anecdotally just uh factors that went into strange seasons and strange numbers and i think 2020 just the year alone will resonate in people's minds as nothing was normal well, as a White Sox fan, I'm having a blast. And now watching, scoreboard watching, as far as the other games and, and seeing how things are being played out, I think we're going to get our chaos that we were thinking about could happen before the season started where teams we didn't think necessarily merit to make the postseason. We could definitely see that, especially in the National League. I think we could definitely see that in the National League. And uh, two teams in the American League that we thought were shoe-ins to make the postseason, the Yankees and the Astros, they are feeling the heat from the Baltimore Orioles and the Seattle Mariners. And I'm sorry, I love it. Let's keep it going and keep things interesting throughout the weekend. And uh yeah, when you said when you said madness, though, one thing that jumped to mind when you mentioned like the the twenty nine to two game and nineteen nothing game, I expected more of those games this season just because of the imbalanced rosters hmm. and maybe you know health situations and 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 uh, you know maybe portions of rosters being knocked out or pitcher injuries. So I'm wondering if that's going to be a feature over the last you know uh, you know two weeks or so is just more lopsided games, more games getting out of hand just because uh, some teams might either be not mailing it in, but just might be pushed to the brink. <laughs> just their roster just might be uh, taking on too much water to survive. Well, as long as the White Sox are the team scoring 29 runs in the game, Jim, I am good with that idea. I'd settle for 27. Yeah. yeah. Anything above 20 would be fun. <laughs> That'd be one heck of a recap. It'd be 3000 words trying to capture all the scoring plays, but We'll see. It might happen this weekend because Detroit is tired. And I don't know how much pitching they have left uh, playing three games in the last couple of days, especially long games and very high scoring games. So we'll see if the White Sox offense can continue to feast against Detroit Tigers pitching. But that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live. We appreciate you listening to the live stream. But if you miss the live shows, no worries. Every episode is uploaded into the podcast feed, which you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, including our newest platform, radio.com and the radio.com app. So if you go to that app and you listen to 670 The Score, often you can now find the Sox Machine podcast on that app as well, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, we have a couple of marketing items. You can help support us on patreon.com slash Machine, where you receive additional content on an ad-free version of the podcast. Plus, there are levels of support that you can earn Sox Machine swag, including our new coffee mugs. And how are we doing on that inventory, Jim? 
still good, still available for individual purchase. And we have, uh, yeah, I would say a couple dozen marked away for Patreon supporters. So either way, you're good. Awesome. And we also have the Socks Machine Cog shirts for sale. Uh, getting great feedback on the shirts, which is great to hear. Uh, we have those on sale on the website, SocksMachine.com. Just $25. That includes shipping. And we will have more inventory on hand uh, for this weekend as we'll have more mediums and larges in stock. Those are pretty popular sizes and they have gone off the shelves pretty quickly. So we'll have those restocked. Uh, so if you wear one of those shirt sizes, go to SocksMachine.com. You should be able to order your size very shortly. And uh, again, we really do appreciate everyone's support. So thank you to our wonderful listeners and followers. Socks Machine Live is a production of SocksMachine.com. Your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.